Our great God, we come before you knowing that you are the God of the universe, the God who has given us the great land in which we live and to whom all honor and glory is due. So, Father, as we open your word today, we pray that you will show yourself to us. Take away the weaknesses of your servant and make them your strength as you do. Thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I talked to you about the love of Christ, and we were told that Christ's love controls us, Christ's love creates us, and Christ's love calls us to be his. Well, I want to talk with you uh, uh, this week about another great aspect of uh, the scriptures on who Christ is and what Christ has accomplished, and that's his grace. You know, oftentimes what we see is that we talk about the grace of God that brings us to a place where we recognize that we need a Savior who is Jesus Christ, and we place our faith and trust in him. But, you know, the scriptures never talk, stop talking to us about how God gives us grace on a day-by-day -day basis, gives us the gift to be able to live the lives that he wants for us to live on those days. Well, the last time I was with you, we were over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and as the lectionary often does, it just goes ahead and skips a number of chapters, and it has done that. So today, I'd like to look with you at the passage that we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And basically, there are, um, you know, this is one of those passages where we could spend a whole lot of time uh, dealing with it, but they're just... Um, a couple of verses that I really want to deal with and try to bring in the context that, that around it. In verse 6 it says, Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees me in, in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So when we look at this passage of scripture, it doesn't take a genius to figure out what the big idea is. It's that God's grace is sufficient for my life. That's, you just want to go home now? Don't say yes. <laughs> but what we have happening here as we take a look at this, we see that that's there. But what is the context that surrounds this? It's kind of interesting. Uh, the lectionary doesn't even pick up the first verse of this chapter. The first verse of this chapter says, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to, to visions and revelations of the Lord. So he begins with the aspect of, there are a lot of things that I could say about myself. And the reason why we find this is that we, we, we find that this passage, it says, is to keep Paul... I think the RSV said becoming elated. The ESV says conceited. 
which is probably a better word for this. Uh, we wouldn't, we want, wouldn't want to put Paul down and think that he might get conceited, but the truth is that Paul is Paul, and we'll talk a little bit about that. So what happens is that God uses, it says, a messenger of Satan to accomplish the job of keeping him humble. Isn't that amazing? I guess when I see this, I, go, I think back to Job. You know, there is nothing in the book of Job other than when we get to the end of it where Job is not considered to be a righteous man. As a matter of fact, it starts out very nicely where uh, Satan is going to and fro over the earth and God says to him, have you considered my servant Job? He's righteous in all ways. You know, he says this to Satan. And uh, Satan goes, yeah, but he has everything. He has everything. He has money. He has land. He has family. He has everything. Take those things away from him and he'll curse you. And there are a number of places, even when Job is saying, Lord, I don't understand this. But there are a number of places that Job says, Lord, you are the God of heaven. You are my redeemer. I know that the time is going to come when I will stand with my redeemer for I know that my Redeemer lives. And basically what he's saying is, God, you're the one that's going to be glorified. I don't like this. This is not something, if, if I had my druthers, this is something that I would druther not do. You know? And when we come over here, that's kind of the same way that we're dealing with with Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. If Paul had his way, he would basically say, this is something I'd druther not do. This thorn in the flesh is something I'd really rather not have. Well, what brings about this thorn in the flesh? What, what, what are some of the things? Let's take a look. Paul begins this chapter, says, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. Boasting about what? Well, we actually find it in the last chapter. Because what has happened is there are super apostles that have come to the Corinthian church and they have started to preach a message that is different than the message of salvation by God's grace and God's power that keeps us. But they are super apostles. If you don't think so, just ask them. They will tell you. So Paul begins to look at these guys that are preaching back in chapter 11, uh, and he says, and uh, in my, verse 12, and what I do, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. Paul says they're not working on the same terms. In our Sunday school class this morning, we talked about the book of Galatians. In, in, in Galatia, there were people that were coming and said, you know, Paul's a nice guy, but you don't have to listen to him. If you really want to be a Christian, you need to become Jewish. You need to be you need to be um, uh, circumcised and you need to keep the law and then maybe you can become Christian. You know what Paul says about that gospel? He says it's not another gospel. That's not good news. The people were looking at that before and saying, you know, if I want to come before God, I've got to keep all of these commandments. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. What did they find out according to Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3? Can't do it. Can't do it. That's not good news. 
If the good news is just keep the commandments and then you can come to Jesus, go ahead. But that's not good news because we can't do it. Right? Now, I don't know what these guys were preaching. Perhaps they were preaching that you go ahead and do anything you want to do because, after all, the spirit is uh, good, the flesh is bad. It doesn't matter what you do in the flesh. Well, God, well, Paul took care of that, too, because he says your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and you need to treat it like the temple of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So I'm not sure exactly what happened here, but what happened is that they were trying to make themselves, and Paul says, listen, folks, I just want you to know they're not better than I am. And so he, he says that. Nothing wrong with that. Because what he's doing is he's doing what he told people to do. He's telling them that he's looked at the scriptures, he's seen what the scriptures have to say, and Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you want to come to the Father, you have to come through him and him alone. Okay? So then he comes on down uh, in, verse, uh, in, in, in chapter 11. He says, um, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little, what am I saying with this boastful confidence? I say not with the Lord's authority, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I'll also boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear if, if somebody makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs or strikes. And before this, he says, look, um, these are false apostles. They're deceitful workmen. And so the wonder of, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And uh, he says in verse uh, 22, he says, are they Hebrews? I am too. I am too. Are they Israelites? I am too. Are they offspring of Abraham? I am too. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. Ooh. Okay. I'm talking a little like a madman, he said. Okay? And then he comes on down with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received to the, from the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers and robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brothers. Ooh, I wonder if that had anything to do with what was happening in toil and hardship. What I'm saying is, do you see what he's saying then? If I have reason to boast, these are the things that I have reason to boast, but I really don't have reason to boast in them. This is, this is not what's there. This isn't what makes it. This isn't what does it. You know, you and I are very privileged people. We live in the United States of America. You and I can come here this morning, and we don't have to worry about somebody breaking into our church and saying, you can't do this, at least at this time. We don't have to worry about going out and some authority saying, because you're a Christian, you're going to die. You and I have the opportunity to open the scriptures. You and I have the opportunity to put this over the airwaves. 
That hasn't been taken away from us. You and I are privileged. But we don't boast in that fact. What we boast in is that we've got a God who is gracious and good to us, and that's exactly what Paul did. That's what he's about. That's what he wants to make sure that we see. Or perhaps it was in verses 12, chapter 12, verses 2 through 5, he relates to us that some 14 years before this, he was caught up into the third heaven, to paradise, he says, to the place of God. Somebody said to me, you know, I never heard of the third heaven before. What does that mean? Well, at that particular time, basically what happened is the first heaven was you're breathing it, that which surrounds us right here. The second heaven is when you go out at night and you look up at the stars and you see the handiworks of God and you see the great heavens, how he put them in their place, how, how, they, how, how they move and do the things that they do on a regular basis. Second heaven, third heaven, the very presence of God himself, the very presence of God. What is he saying? I was caught up into the very presence of God. Whether it was in my body, whether I, my body went there or whether my spirit went there, I don't know. It was some 14 years before. I don't know whether it was a time when Paul perhaps was beaten or stoned or what happened, but he is before God at that time, and he must see marvelous and fantastic things. You know why I say he must have? He doesn't tell us about it. But I guarantee you one thing. It changed his life. And when it changed his life, it made it available to you and me what he learned while he was there in heaven. You see, he doesn't boast about what he saw. He doesn't boast about what he heard. He doesn't boast about being taken into the very presence of God. Because you see, it's God's grace. And that's what it's going to come back to. So what might his thorn have been? Well, the word that's used here is the idea of a stake. It's, you know, <clears throat> we used to have we, we used to have rose bushes in front of our house. When we moved to our present house, there was nobody around us. There were woods all around us. You know what are in woods in Florida? Deer. Do you know what deer like to eat? Roses. I like to eat roses. You know, you know, and I love, aren't, aren't roses beautiful? You better be careful, though, when you go to pick a rose because there are thorns. I hate those thorns, but that's not the type of thorn it was talking about. It was talking about something that perhaps was driven, moved into the side, a, 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 a tent post or something like that. You understand what I'm saying to you? It was no little thing. And I guarantee you, whatever, whatever the thorn in the flesh was, people knew it. They could see it. They knew about it. It was something that was in Paul's life. It was something that he didn't want to have happen. Some people think that it's, some people think that, uh, that uh, perhaps it was the super apostles. Well, they may have been a pain in the neck. I don't know. They were somebody that got to him. You can tell they got to him. 
And you, you see how he responded to it. Maybe the super apostles were his thorn in the flesh. Maybe, maybe it was his eyes. Over in Galatians chapter 6, the book ends. See with what large letters I write this. And some people think that he's saying there, I'm writing this with my own hand because I normally have a secretary do this, but this is so important. I'm writing this with my own hand. Notice the large letters, and the reason why I have to do the large letters because I can't see. Maybe, so it, maybe it was. And maybe those eyes were just, just disformed or something, and people could see that, and he couldn't do the things that he wanted to do with it. Or you know what? Maybe it's thorn in the flesh with pride. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, in our Sunday school class, I was told by one of the members of the Sunday school class that they absolutely knew that it was the eyes. They said that they had theologians that agreed with them. I told them that I had theologians that agreed with me that we didn't know what it was. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know. But whatever it was, it was significant. It, it, it caused him to say, can I continue to do the work that God has given me to do? Right? Can I keep on doing it? Can I go there? Well, then I started to think to myself, what are some of the uh, thorns in the flesh that we might encounter? Well, maybe we encounter some physical thorns in the flesh. We have a number of people who have encountered cancer. We've had people who have uh, encountered ALS. We've had people who have encountered problems with their eyes. Maybe those are the things where they're saying, can God really use me? Is there something for me? Uh, uh, what's going to happen here with this? Or, or perhaps it's some type of a mental uh, thorn in the flesh, uh, something like depression or maybe anxiety or OCD or something like that. For me, one of the problems that I have is self-confidence. I know that you're looking at that and going, huh, yeah, I don't see that at all. But the truth of the matter is there are probably a number of things in my life that I haven't done because I didn't think, I didn't think that I was good enough to do them for God. You understand what I'm saying to you? So perhaps they didn't get done because I had a thorn in the flesh. And I guarantee you I have asked that God would give me the confidence to do what he wants me to do. And I've asked more than three times. You know? And, and that's okay. The third thing is, how about financial? Sometimes there's financial. I don't have enough money to do what I want to do for God. I don't have the money to give what I want to give. I don't have the money to do uh, this in my house or with my family or these things. That may be a thorn in the flesh that we might face. Or how about relational issues? How about relational issues? Maybe there are families that you, somebody in our family that you and I have that say to us, that God that you have, that's stupid. What you're doing is stupid. You follow that God and, and, and you know, look, look. Can you prove that God looks, exists? 
answer ought to be, can you prove that God doesn't exist? You know? Look around. We always want it to be about the science. So let's make it about the science. There's nothing in science that says that God couldn't do what he did. As a matter of fact, there's everything in science that says that God had to do what he did in order for us to be here. Because left in its own right, things don't happen that way. See? But, but we might have a family member that we love with all of our heart, and we want to have that relationship with them. And there is that thorn that comes, can I be what God wants me to be? God, take it away from me. Please take it away from me so that I can praise you with what's going on. Or how about uh, spiritual? You know, sometimes Satan loves to use our past, doesn't he? Doesn't he love to use our past? And he will bring it up, and we will bring it up, and that will be a thorn, something that we did years and years and years ago, and we say, God can't use me because I, I, I committed that sin. Or even now, you know, I don't do everything that God wants me to do, so he can't use me, can he? He can't use me. But that may be our thorn when we need to say, God, take that away from me. Take that, take that, that, that away from me that says, I can't do what you want me to do. You know why? Because he said to me, my grace is sufficient. So often we go to that place where we say grace is something that God gives us in our salvation, don't we? Don't we? Oh, it's God's grace that brought me to him, isn't it? And that's all the grace we need, isn't it? Uh, we, that we were talking in Sunday school class. Somebody brought up Joshua. You know, Joshua recounts all of the things that God had done. He brought him out of Egypt. And oftentimes we look at the Passover as being God's, and the Exodus as being God's grace in salvation for them. But what happens after that? What happens when they get into the desert? What happens when they get into the desert is that he clothes them. He feeds them. He takes care of their enemies for them, doesn't he? He brings them into the land that Joshua's talking about. And if it weren't for God's grace, because after all, what did he say to the people when they went into the land? He said to them, get your, arm, get your armor on. You've got to win these battles. Nobody said, is it? He said, go into the land. I've given you this land. I will take care of those thorns in the flesh for you. Because you see, my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. So what are we learning when we look at it? Oh, oh, there's so much that we could say about our God. You know, when I open the scriptures, so often what we do when we open the scriptures, we go, okay, Lord, give me a verse that will help me to live life today. And we go, oh, that's a good verse. I'll use that. When we open the scriptures, you know what we ought to be doing? God, teach me about yourself today. Teach me who you are. Teach me what you're doing in my life. Teach me. 
so that I know that your grace is sufficient for me no matter what thorn in the flesh comes into my life. But in truth, so many times, it's all about us. It's all about us. How could God do that to me? Hmm? You've never said that. I have. How could you do that to me? And he would say to me, my grace is sufficient. You may not see what's happening. You may not see how I can use you but I can see how I can use you through this thorn in the flesh. I've shared with you before, oh, probably 38, 40 years ago, I did a wedding for a young couple, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful young couple. He was working for InterVarsity, went to the, uh, I think he went to the University of Minnesota to work with InterVarsity. And within two years of the time that they were married, he was diagnosed with ALS. You know what prayers we prayed? You know what the prayers were that we prayed? Father, bring about healing. You know what's happening in his body. You can heal him. You're the God who has control of it. We could have done that, and God could have done that. He didn't. We saw him, what, two years ago? Three years ago. Three years ago now. And I've told you before, he lays in a bed in the living room of his home with ALS. He can move one muscle somewhere up in the eye or around the eye or something to control a computer so that he can say hello to me. So he's on it. He's traced. And so his oxygen comes in through a tube. He has a feeding tube. So his nutrition comes in through a feeding tube. And I guarantee you that when I worked at the hospital, there would have been nurses there that would have said, he needs to die because he doesn't have quality of life. And the question that we need to ask ourselves is, who determines what quality of life is and who determines how God can be glorified in our lives? Would I, would I love to have him get up out of that bed and walk? Absolutely. But you know what I see in him? I see somebody that loves the Lord. I see somebody that sends out letters that let you know that he will send out a Christmas letter, and it's not about what's happening with him. You know what it's about? It's about the faithfulness of God. It's about the faithfulness of God and how God has taken care of him and watched over him and been with him and supplied his needs. You know, I just, I'm, I'm amazed by that. And yet, what is God saying to him on a day-by-day basis? He's saying to him, my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. So what does Paul learn? Paul learns that he can depend on him. I learn I can depend on him. He knows what my needs are. He knows what's best for me. I, did, I, I learned that he's a sovereign God and does that which will glorify him. And when he is glorified, then I can enjoy. Because I know that he's glorified. God teaches us that he's strong. 
in my weakness, he makes me strong. I love down at the bottom of this deal, he says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. That, that concept of weakness is, 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 a, is a Greek word that has the idea of I can't stand by myself. I can't. I'm weak. I can't stand by myself. The word for power is the word that he uses for the gospel, for the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God to salvation. Dunamis. It's dynamic. It has an explosive power in our lives. And when we turn ourselves over and recognize that it is God who has the grace that's sufficient for me each and every day, I may not, I, I may not understand it. Uh, and in all honesty, I may not want to go through it. But I got a God that loves me. He loved me enough to send the Son. He loved me enough to create newness in me. He loved me enough to use me. David Gusick, in his commentary on this, says, Paul was at such a level of spiritual strength and maturity that God had to deliberately introduce a thorn in the flesh. I love what David says next because I identify with what he says next. Most of us provide our own thorns. And an honest look shows us enough weakness to make us constantly and totally rely on the grace and strength of Jesus. Yet even if we were to grow to the spiritual strength and maturity of Paul, God would say to us as well, I need you to keep depending on me in everything. Here is something to depend on me for. This is a place of victory, not discouragement. This is a place of victory, not discouragement. In Philippians chapter 4, that verse that we all know so much, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do things, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Then I love, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. I love that addition. You go, why? Well, here's Paul. He says, I'm strengthened by God. Isn't that what, isn't that what he tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 12? Your weakness becomes my strength. I, I, I'm strong through you. But isn't it interesting how God works in us and shows us his strength? And then what happens? He says to the Philippians, he says, thank you for sharing because you knew what my thorn was and you came alongside of me. God used you. You know, in the lives of some of our folks, God brings us alongside. We're that aspect that God shows that his grace is sufficient for us. So number one, just remember, no matter what you go through, no matter what your thorn in the flesh is, God's grace is sufficient for you. And number two, God will use those things in our lives to glorify himself in us and through us to a world that's around.
John Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us. That's what Paul's saying here. God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in knowing that Jesus and God the Father does everything. Amen? Amen.